Welcome to Mouth Off, a podcast for and about marginalised groups. I'm Clary Sadler, and so far in the series, I've interviewed a range of people from all walks of life, whom I consider, in some capacity, to represent marginalised groups. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing my very good friend, Sally Curtis. Sally is a professional manager for Adult Acute Speech and Language Therapy Services at Cum Taf Morganu University Health Board. Sally and I have been playing music and writing songs together since about 2003. We actually formed a band called Kutch, which we are still in, on an overseas trip around the world. And now the ocean's falling like rain We like to play inside a storm But now we're drowning in our own pain Yeah, let's do it again, yeah And get some sleep before we get too deep Every time I I feel something new But the ocean's blue and we rise it too And there's the crying tears of pain Yeah, let's do it again, yeah And get some sleep before we get too As well as being a musician and speech therapist, Sally practices the three principles, and she's going to be talking about that today. The three principles were first described by Scottish welder Sidney Banks in 1973, and they were described as three key factors which interact to form people's psychological experience. The three principles, or three Ps as they're often called, are the universal mind, thought, and consciousness. What is mind, consciousness, and thought? Mind, intelligence of all things. Consciousness makes you aware. And thought is like the rudder of a ship. It guides you through life. And if you can learn to use that rudder properly, you can guide your way through life way, way better than you ever imagined. You can go from one reality to another. You can find your happiness. Okay. Sally Curtis, welcome to Mouth Off. Thanks for coming on. So would you mind starting by introducing yourself in a nutshell, I guess, what you think, how would you first describe yourself? What is your identity, sort of first and foremost? Um, I am a 42-year-old female. I always forget, most of you are out here or there. 42-year-old female, um, lesbian, mum of two, married to a lovely woman. And I am a, an NHS professional. I guess I'm generally a pretty go-with-the-flow, spontaneous person. Um, 
Although I go with a flow, I wouldn't say I'm flat horizontal. I'm pretty uh, fast mover. And one of these people that my work colleagues always tell me I, I like to get things done. So, yes, patience has never been my strong point. If I want to do something, I do it and I get it done and I don't look back. I just noticed there when, when you did that, you started with your age and your gender. Was that just by fluke or is that something that, you know, being female, being a lesbian? I mean, I know you were good friends. I've known you a long, long time. Uh, you're not someone hung up on age. So I'm guessing that was just the first thing that came to your, your mind. But are you sort of like female, lesbian? Is that a, a badge of honor you wear first and foremost? Or, you know, mum or work or or is it all of the above for you? All of the above. I guess mum is a big part of my life, but I don't like to mumsiness is not something that I relate to or aspire to I guess and obviously being a lesbian came along a lot before the kids did mm. um, and yeah I, get, I am proud to be gay and I don't really hide it to anyone and um, it's been a long time since I did um, work colleagues junior colleagues I think it's good to be a role model and to be confident and and let other people feel comfortable in their own skin, I think, especially with young people. So I push my kids' friends out of their comfort zone quite a lot. And my kids obviously do. They don't try to, but they've got gay parents. So it's something that their friends have to get used to. Um, but I know I always think there's probably one of their friends might be in the closet themselves and hasn't quite figured mm. themselves out. So that's not to be ashamed of these things. I don't, I'm not sure I ever have been, really. Yeah. So I mentioned in the introduction that, of course, as well as all of the above, you are a musician. Interestingly, didn't mention that. We've been singing and <laughs> playing music, writing since, what, about 2003? Well, really on our years travel abroad, uh, Thailand, Australia, Bali. Do you still have a musical identity, do you think? Or has it taken more of a form of music you listen to and other uh, other music that inspires you I always consider you the musician Clary <laughs> <laughs> you carry me along with you I never really call myself a musician because I feel a bit of a fraud to call myself one. I do love music and I do love to sing at the same time I wouldn't consider myself a a singer but I like being part of Kutch as as one of your band members but I don't feel I can take I don't think I can take the badge of honour for that one. I don't know, founding member. I think you came up with a name <laughs> <laughs> and then wanted to change it about five years later, saying it's actually a bit childish. <laughs> well, we're stuck with it now. <laughs> Everyone is equally thrilled and intrigued and curious about the possibility to have more mental freedom than they do in the moment. People are experiencing a version of reality according to what's running through their own mind. It's like the mind is a projector, so we have thoughts and we project an experience of reality and we feel the real, the cinematic realness of that movie via the power of our minds. You know, we're the director of these incredible films that we live in. So I really wanted to get you on to talk about the three principles. So this is something that you have mentioned, I know it's something you came upon a few years ago that has sort of helped you, I guess, reframe 
your thinking patterns and I guess how you deal, maybe deal with stress or just recognize that it's there and then let it go. I mean, I will probably won't do it justice if I try and try and explain. So I guess to our listeners that don't know what it is or haven't heard of it, you know, can you tell us a little bit about it and how you first found the three P's, three principles? Okay. I wouldn't say I've really suffered with my mental health over the years, particularly. I'm generally quite um, not a person to dwell on things necessarily, but I've always been an overthinker. Sure. Always been quite a, a worrier and get overwhelmed quite easily, I guess, and get irritated quite easily. <laughs> And uh, impatient and short-tempered, I guess. Um, but, and and guilt. Guilt is something that I just felt that was um, just something that you just do, particularly as, a, as an adult. And even more so when you become a mum, guilt is just something that you are, you know, comes with the role. And I wasn't, wasn't brought up in a Catholic family as such, but my family were very much, you know, at least to lay the guilt on we were all raised with that element of guilt if you didn't pull your weight or whatever so yeah I just constantly carried the guilt more so when I became a mum so I still wanted to keep my job um I work as a, a speech therapist I manage all um one of the health boards in Wales the speech therapy team I manage our all our inpatient services so I've got quite a busy job and I've been quite career driven really since the not I was part-time when the kids were born, but it didn't gradually work my way back up to full-time hours. But try, I always, always carry the guilt. So I'm either not doing good enough in work or I'm doing, I was doing, not you know, not quite doing good, you know, good enough jobs as a mum and then my work would be neglected or not doing good enough as a friend or always feeling like I was, I was lacking or not really fulfilling my role. And if there was too much going on in my life, I would just totally get really overwhelmed with oh my gosh you know there's so much to do today and I just find myself you know running around in in circles really um and then I did the, I changed job I think I'd gone from a few really really busy busy jobs and then into a promotion that I didn't particularly I wasn't particularly looking for but I took it because I needed a job and um yeah it was a step up with my first sort of managerial role that I'd done and it was a lovely team. It was a very busy job, but I just really slipped for the worst. I don't know if it's the first time, but the worst time I'd slipped into a really, really bad case of imposter syndrome. So I can relate to that. When I sort of made the transition from actor, musician to getting my degree and then getting a job as a secondary school drama teacher, I was constantly sort of feeling inadequate and and that I was just sort of playing the role of a grown-up and playing the role of a responsible adult and, you know, expected to teach these teenagers when I really felt like, you know, they were just thinking, what on earth is she doing here, that actor? What is she? She's acting the role. What is she going to teach us? You know, so, yeah, I can totally relate to that. We've all felt it, but I just really felt like I just I wasn't ready for the job. I shouldn't have taken it. I wasn't good enough and I, be, I was really paranoid that everybody could tell that everybody was like oh my god what's she doing here <laughs> I was utterly convinced that I was doing a terrible job and I I just obsessed over it and because I was thinking it I assumed that was true and the, the more I thought it the more I felt I had to analyze it 
and I would I just got to the point where I was be driving to work and I would literally be almost in a panic attack I would be so stressed out dreading going into work I'd ring my dad I could barely speak I was tearful and anxious and my dad would be like you've got to you know you've got to go you've got to tell someone you've got to talk it through but I'd managed to pull up drive to work pull myself together and get through the day just fine Mm. and then get home and then I'd be absolutely you know exhausted and anxious and I would bend my partner's ear about it and again I'd be utterly convinced all the things I'd done badly that day and how everybody everybody could see it you know and there was all this evidence and my sister would say you it's just in your head Sal I'm sure people don't see you the way you see your, your, yourself I was like no no they do because so-and-so said this so-and-so said that blah 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 blah, blah. this is the evidence that is you know makes everything true that I'm just not good enough this job um yeah and I just got I was really not present with the kids I was getting up as early as I could getting to work for seven so I could get a couple of more hours in before the, everybody else came in and I'd get home I'd rush the kids to bed I'd be really irritable and stressed because I felt I had to do more work to prove myself mm. um, and then I would yeah I'd hardly see the kids and when I did see them I was really snappy and irritable and yeah so I just got myself into a bit of a tiz really and I'd never really felt that anxious before um so yeah I guess that's the closest I've got to sort of panic attacks and anxiety and depression I was really labile um yeah and you know I felt it was starting to affect my my skin was coming out in sort of rashes and I was just feeling it in my body and yeah really starting to have physical side effects so did you seek out the three P's, you know, as a way of, of dealing or were you just looking for some, you know, some mindfulness or some approaches or meditation or that kind so of thing? I thought that what I needed to do, I think what we all tend to think we need to do is to feel better. We need to change our circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it just made sense to me at the time to make a list of all the things in my outside world that I needed to change in order to make myself feel better. Yeah. So the first thing I felt I had to change because it was all to do with the job. Um, even though I'd been really stressed in, you know, the last couple of jobs previously and I'd been really overdoing it and working far too hard. It was it was certainly I was building myself up to it, um, but I didn't see that at the time. So I decided to find another job um, was my first plan. And I mm-hmm sort of demotion so I had been in that job for about a year and a half and I decided to step back down I didn't think I was good enough I couldn't hack it um and moved to a different hospital that I worked in before that I was familiar with that felt good and then the second thing I felt I needed to do was to um learn to be a better parent because I really felt that I'd I was not a good one so I went looking for sort of parenting programs because mm. um, I felt quite ashamed that I just really disconnected from the kids and needed to learn to do a better job. I felt like someone had to teach me. Um, so, yeah, so I, I stumbled across a program on Facebook. I don't think it's actually packaged the same way now, but it was called Lighthearted Parenting. Mm. Uh, and it was by a psychologist on Facebook called Nicola Bird. And she just had these, she was just, there was these videos of testimonials 
And I watched these testimonials of her sort of Zoom calling some parents and their kids. And I was just like, what is going on here? It was just, mm. wow. The, the parents were just like, it just, the feeling was amazing. And they just, they were talking about complete transformation in, in the feeling of their household and their relationship with their kids. And I thought, what on earth is going on in this? This sounds amazing. I'd love to know what this is all mm. about. So I showed Ran and Ran also was curious and we signed up for I think it wasn't loads of money it was 100 odd quid we both signed up for it. So it was essentially taking the philosophies of the three principles and turning it into a sort of package what for parents to help help with parenting or was it like for the whole family? Yeah and with it came some video for the kids to watch so so yeah, we worked through that as a family, I guess, or well, me for me, but we all worked through it. Yeah, so I thought it was going to be sort of strategies. That's what we all think mm. in life we need. We need a list of things to do, to do unto ourselves and behaviours we need to change to, to mm. you know, become a better person. We all go through our lives reading million and one self-help books. Or as I like to call them, self-helpless books. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, and it, it wasn't what I expected at all. It was really on, it was the whole ethos of it was the three principles or innate health or whatever. It's got different, referred to in different ways. Yeah. And yeah, it was really much more um, spiritual um, and sort of soul affirming than I expected. Mm. It, was, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. How was it different to what you expected? In what way? So basically it, it very much, Pointed inward, it pointed upstream, not downstream, mm. into yourself. Um, yeah, in a really, really accessible and tangible way. So, yeah, it had a huge impact on me and just really flipped around my relationship with the kids and ran, particularly ran, actually. I didn't even think at the time that was necessarily one of the problems, but I mm. realised that there was a lot that wasn't right there mm-hmm. um, and what about work did it did it help with that stress at all and yeah work might you know now I've since I've kind of discovered this a few years ago I um I've gone back to a managerial job again and I it just feels so different it's not been easy I've kind of changed jobs in the middle of the COVID pandemic managing all our hospital services so it's not an easy time to take on the role but just felt so much more comfortable in my own skin so you know outside of the initial, um, I don't know if you'd call it a course, but the initial sort of sessions and work that you did within the family and and the, those sort of problems that you wanted to overcome early on, obviously then you're realising they're not problems, you know, and it's about changing, you know, negative patterns of thought and that sort of thing. So I guess how have you implemented them in daily life, like, you know, uh, some people have mantras that they say every day. Some people meditate first thing in the morning or last thing at night or both. I mean, is there a sort of a mindset that you that you say when you get out of bed? Is there a voice that you, 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 you sort of switch on when you feel yourself going into that negative place? Or is it just an organic thing that you, you know, that you've now taken on? so it's 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 definitely none of that because again that's strategies mm. um so yeah so I guess to, to explain what what it's all about as, as simply as I can it's um it was just it was a understanding of the human mind that a Scottish welder 
Mm. Um, had a bit of an epiphany in the 70s. It's really not that long ago. ago. Mm. Um, and he had, um, his name was Sidney Banks, and he'd spent his life being, he was lived in um, northern Canada, and he was, he was a Scotsman, sort of a supervisor in a welding firm. And he just spent most of his life being depressed and having marital problems and you know, self-analysis and criticism and insecurities. And that was just, that's pretty much normal, isn't it? <laughs> most of us adults. Um, yeah, and he, um, it was in the 70s, there were lots and lots of different psychological um, approaches, you know, coming into fashion. So CBT, um, mm-hmm. all the different theories, you know, all the guess out theories and Jung, Carl Jung and all that sort of stuff. There was loads going on and he didn't, none of it, really washed sat with him I think he was looking for something but he just didn't rate all the psychological approaches but all his friends would go into all these conventions and they were all trying to drag him along and you know felt there was lots of relationship um, workshops going on so that his friends had tried to encourage him to go to this one workshop by the latest sort of counsellor guru um and yeah his story goes that he booked himself on for his wife him and his wife and then had second thoughts and phoned and cancelled and booked himself on again rang through had second thoughts cancelled the course third time had second thoughts rang through and they said is this Mr Banks (laughs) (laughs) they picked up the phone he went along and the workshop was everything he it was in his eyes, awful. It was one of those sort of approaches where you just lay all your cards on the table, you have a massive argument, mm-hmm. air all your grievances and um, cry, hit each other, and, you know, that's going to resolve things. And he sat mm-hmm. in the room watching all these partners pull each other's hair out, almost literally, and just thought, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a way to resolve a marriage. And he, he left. Um, and he sort of ch- was chatting to a friend in the in the foyer, I think, and the friend, and he said, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm so insecure. I'm never going to sort myself out. And his friend just said, Sid, you're not insecure. You just think you are. Mm. And that was that. And for about three days, he just went into this epiphany sort of bubble, just like, oh, my gosh. He just pondered on this, this for about three days, didn't eat, didn't sleep, and just reflected on it. And sort of came came to an understanding about human existence. So, and then he tried to, it took him quite a while to articulate it, but what he called it was the three principles. It is really fascinating, isn't it? You know, I was doing research for this interview and I was reading an article by Michael Neal on this very topic. And his sort of feeling is that the problem with the question, what is what is the sort of essence of the three principles of mind, consciousness, and thought, is that people are too tempted to answer with words, and he feels words are woefully inadequate for the job. You know, it's beyond words (laughs) to sort of describe the essence and philosophies behind it. And I know words may be inadequate, but, you know, could you try and articulate what it's all about in a nutshell? You know, when you've read Sid Banks' descriptions, when you've heard these stories, when you've when you've looked into it yourself, what is it in essence? So it's just a really, really, I think 
so many people have tried it's the same there's so many different spiritual approaches but I guess it's just explained so practically mm. it's very easy to grasp rather than sounding like some sort of very fairy thing that you just can't quite get your head around mm. I mean the crux of it is that human beings tend to suffer because of an understanding um of where their experience is coming from so we're all cultured to believe that our circumstances create our feelings and that's just what we do so we just assume if the weather's bad we're going to feel miserable or if work is stressful we're going to feel uptight or if someone says something rude to us we're going to be upset we just assume we've just that's just the way we've always been we've interpreted things and that's why humans just tend to see the way things work so it's an outside in world and he realized it was the opposite he realized that it's it's whatever we think is always what we see so our experience directly correlates is always created through our thinking hmm. which it it that sounds like oh yeah i know that when you really truly see that everything, every experience is thought created without exception, you realize there's so much hope because you're not bound by your experience. Going back to Sid Banks, so he described the principle of mind as the energy of all things, whether in form or formless. So, what is the principle of mind in action? look like in practice so this approach has had massive breakthroughs in prisons with people who live on gaza strip with with gun crime in chicago um with you know um kids in schools with you know people who are working probation with marriage marital problems with drug drug addiction just with general human beings hmm. um so it's just it sounds really simple, but when you when you when you start to see it, when you really truly, when you go away and reflect on that, when every time you you feel you fall into a mood or a sort of a alone feeling, if you stop and actually become aware of what you're thinking at that moment and realize mm. that it's coming from your thoughts, it's coming from you mm. inside of you, you can you catch yourself. So yeah, so I just got into this thought spiral that that job was stressing me out. I wasn't good enough. Everybody, you know, blah, 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 blah. The job was making me that that way. And when I truly saw that it was just all thought created nonsense, um, it just, it, 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 it broke me free, really. It made me realize that I'm never bound by my thinking. I think the more you, the more you start to see that, the more you recognize that there's a constant stream of thoughts coming through you you mm. can't you can't control them you have no idea what sort of random stuff is going to come into your head it just is like a ticker tape like on the telly is just this reel of words are just constantly going through but when you just start to see that for what it is and not grab onto it grab onto mm. every thought that you see latch it analyze it if you just let them all flow, um, they don't have a hold on you. You know, they don't have to have a hold on you. But I, I used to think the more negative the thought, the more dark my mood, the more serious it was, and the more mm. I needed to analyse it. Whereas 
all you really need to be in tune with is as soon as your sort of thoughts hit 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 a low, hit south, I guess, as soon as you start to fall into those sorts of insecure, critical, self-judging, I don't know. When you start to feel yourself judging others, judging yourself, feeling insecure, feeling paranoid, you know that your your mood has dropped. And mm-hmm. that's always that's it's like a it's like a thermometer gauge, you know. But yeah. depending yeah. on the quality of your thinking is is a real good guide to how um how trustworthy those thoughts are. Mm-hmm. I guess the trick is sort of recognizing when that's happening and and knowing how to sort of switch your brain off or switch those those negative thoughts off it's just it's just a sort of a, a thermometer so you know when your thoughts go low that's when you need to leave those thoughts you need to get out of your own way and leave them alone <laughs> but i didn't what i used to do when i get into that mood i would analyze i would i would go dive straight straight into them because i felt that they were relevant and needed to be dealt with the sooner the better and that was i needed to have it out with ran because i was feeling all these, this anger and, you know, as soon as we'd have a big row, I'd go into this, oh, I, I, I knew it, we weren't, we were never compatible. This is just proof that we're not compatible. Mm-hmm. Here we go again. We're having the same argument. Therefore, it just, it's proof that we're not compatible. And, you know, I would literally go to bed thinking, right, okay, how can I, how can we, maybe we're not meant to be together. I would go to bed in that horrendous mood, you know, we'd, 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 we'd really, yeah, she didn't mm-hmm. analyze it like I did. Only since I've come across this, I've been open with her and said, you know, I'd really make something. I'd really interpret something from those arguments. And she was like, oh, I didn't. And I'm like, oh, I did. I really mm-hmm. did feel that there were evidence that we weren't suited. But there's a reason why people say sleep on it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> very often when you fall asleep in that mood, you wake up in the morning, you're like, bloody hell, I can't remember what we were arguing about. And you're trying <laughs> so hard to remember because you want to pick it back up again. And you literally, you're like, actually can't remember so it just goes Mm. to show doesn't it what a load of nonsense but but yeah so that that just that was that was a massive breakthrough for me you know if I come home from work and the kids have just dumped all their shoes in a massive trail and I go into my oh my god the kid you know I come home from work and I'd be like oh the bloody kids and then I start to catch myself I'm like hang on now it's not shoes on the floor cannot put this mood into my head Mm. when the next day I come in and I'd see the shoes and I'd be like ah it's a home and then the next day but I'd recognize that it's really my mood and my thinking it's not shoes yes thoughts in my brain but it's so easy to leave that Mm. so yeah so that's 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 the principle of thought I guess I mean how would you advise someone to tap into that or to to access it what you know that that's already there and sustain that kind of state of being if someone is very set in their ways and has a habit of you know as you say coming in seeing the shoes feeling wound up you know how how to access what works for you or what do you think might work for others um I guess the first thing is just to to go and test it out for yourself really you know is not to believe it, but just to go and and, and see whether that that is true. Mm. So when you when you catch yourself in that mood, to stop and and just observe where it's coming from. I, I, 
you know, it's it's very hard not to find an occasion where you can't see the truth in it. Once you see it, you see it. Mm. But also to give yourself, you know, it's impossible to not be stuck down the rabbit hole. We can't, you know, our moods will fluctuate and our thoughts will peak and trough. You know, it's impossible to control your thoughts. The only the only thing you really need to realize is they're transient and and that's that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, the less you the less you pay attention you know you can thank so there's a, a psychiatrist called dr bill Petter, and he'll say i thank my thoughts for their contribution mm-hmm. and i i try and move on but you know you will be sucked in there'll be times where i'll be really tired and i've had a really busy day and i'll be really snappy with the kids and it'll it'll i'll you know i'll be fooled and i, I and i will be again and again because we're human and it's impossible to never mm-hmm. never do that never slip into a blind spot but the more you see it, the quicker you come out of it. So I'll yeah. have a round and then I'll leave the room and I'll, it'll, you know, it, rather than it taking me a day or two days to figure out really mm-hmm. who's probably in the wrong way, even though, of course, I'm going to blame the kids. <laughs> it's, uh, I guess now it's more like minutes, you know, mm-hmm. it can be or sometimes seconds or sometimes five, ten minutes, but it doesn't take me as long now to go to one picket and go, okay, you know, mm-hmm. they're tired. I'm tired. It's not really anybody's fault is it and I'm sure that I didn't approach that in the back you know it's just you start to see you start to see where it comes from and I guess the main thing is not to not to be too hard on yourself and I think when I first came across it I well, slipped into this oh my gosh what have I done you know because I, I've been such I've been quite anxious and I projected so much of that onto my kids mm-hmm. you know, I'd been like Seb was an Seb was quite an anxious kid and still is really, you know, he goes up and down. Um, but I was like hyper analyzing that. So yeah. he, he's kind of suffered with lots of ticks most of his life, which has actually settled down a lot since I've come across this understanding. Um, he, you know, at one point he had his ticks were so bad that I thought he, I thought that it was going to be, it was becoming Tourette syndrome. It was almost like, you know, outbursts, almost like swear words. Mm. I'd referred him to CAMS. He was on the waiting list for that. I'd taken him to the GP and um, I'd referred him to the neurodevelopmental team. And I had all these diagnoses going on. <laughs> and and that was rubbing off on set. You know, so when I came across this and realized how much, you know, my sort of my mood was projecting onto Seb, you know, initially I was just really hard on myself. I was, I was, um, you know, I felt like I was responsible. But yeah, I guess what it's learning to be kind to yourself as well because we're all we're all human and we're all living the human experience you know mm. um, yeah so it's it's just to be it's to, to not be self-critical and and I genuinely I never thought I'd say it but I really don't hold guilt hardly at all anymore mm. I never thought I'd say that I just I let things go I just even when I really cock things up I'll have a little laugh and a cringe but I don't judge myself like I used to mm. um but I guess it's not it's not just about thought I think what what really helps so there's three principles I mean the other massive one that um apart from so consciousness is just your ability to be aware so principle one is thought to consciousness so the ability to be aware of your thinking so this is something Sid Banks described as that which gives us the ability to realize the existence of life which sounds pretty deep you know, how does someone make sense of this or just use it on a practical level? 
to try and make sense of their own lives then. We've got like a special effects system. So I was thinking, we, we don't realise we're thinking because it feels really physical. Mm. So, you know, we'll, we'll see something, our heart will start racing, we'll smell something. And we don't, we don't realise that the smell and the sensations have triggered a thought in our mind, and, you know, a sort of unconscious thought. So we think it's external, but it's it's a stored condition mm. somewhere in our mind that we've sort of we've grown, you know, since our childhood or just since our, the way our parents gen- generally do things. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's that. But the biggest one, and I think what's really helped me with the kids, is mind. So the principle of mind is um, is I mean, it's not just as in your 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 tiny little human mind, but it's the principle of universal mind so whatever whatever that is whether that's the universe whether that's god um whatever people want to call it i guess i never I've, you know me carrie i've never ever been into religion at all um it's never made any sense to me not that i don't i don't know i wouldn't say i didn't feel spiritual i guess but i i was just dead against it because anybody tried to explain anything like that to me it became religious and none of that made sense because there was always a le- an element of sexism in that there was mm. always a big element of homophobia in that and there was always a big element of judgment and none of that made sense to me how can any sort of pure good thing judge others and make judge others to be better than others so I always despise religion because it just felt like a man-made bit Mm. of nonsense to me but that's what the three p's really did for me it's 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 before that it's before all of that so it's you know every sort of religion is pointing to the same thing it's just but it's one man's story isn't it Mm. it's lost in the translation it's lost in the words and it's lost in the interpretation as soon as it is put into words it's 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 stepped into the form hasn't it you know it's gone from the form of the spiritual world into the form so I guess what Sydney Banks pointed to was universal minds I suppose I've always felt the same really you know I, I consider myself spiritual but not religious at all my dad was always an atheist yet I guess his faith was more placed in science and he did believe there was something out there, but again, not something he would name God. And, you know, when you lose a loved one, you've recently lost your mum and I lost my dad within the last year. And you do sort of question the nature of faith and that sort of thing. And for me, it is about sort of a transference of energy, you know, we were all made from stardust billions of years ago um, when we came into being and when we die, whether we're cremated or whether we're buried, we, we go back into the earth, we go back into the elements and, you know, we will become stardust again at some point and that cycle will continue and continue. And, you know, I, I don't believe that when when someone dies, the lights go out. I think that energy, you know, energy can't be destroyed um, or created. So that energy was always there in some form. Um, you know, it was that energy that caused the Big Bang and that caused life. And, and that just continues in one wonderful cycle. So, yeah, I this kind of philosophy, if you want to call it philosophy or just 
a belief system is something that resonates with me. Yes, it's that sense that we are all we're all connected to that. We're all we're all connected to the same sort of universal energy or whatever you want to call it, whatever was there before the Big Bang. And that that's sort of timeless and never ending. So, you know, you, I started to recognize that not only have I got that well-being that's unbreakable, always accessible, that is within me always whenever I need to access it, but my kids have too. So I realized mm. that I don't need to teach them. I think I felt like as a parent, I was a heavy burden of responsibility. Like I needed to help them become wise. I needed to help them fight, learn common sense. I needed to keep them safe in the world. I needed to give them strategies to get through. And when I came across this, I realized that everyone's born with this. This mm. isn't something that we need to learn. We've got it, you know, and if you think about before the age of three, before sort of the, con you know, concepts are formed in children, they are constantly living in a sense of well-being. Mm -hmm. It's just there. They live in the moment. They're fully present. You know, mm -hmm. emotions come and go. Highs, extreme highs, extreme lows, mm -hmm. fully present. Everything's wow, wonder, amazing. That's that's what we are. That's That's how we're born. And the only thing that changes is when we start to form concepts and constructs and Hmm. start to form these conditioned ideas really um but it does not to say that it's not all still there hmm. it's just covered up by our our thought our thinking our, or our taking too much taking our thoughts too seriously I guess hmm. so yeah so seeing that my kids have that you know now I it's in the patients I work with and with my kids and with myself no matter how wobbly I get no matter how anxious I get I know that I've always got that well-being, that, that mental health is there. It's not breakable, apart from the layers and layers of thinking that <laughs> sometimes clouds my vision of it. It's there. How might thought in action manifest then? The, the, the way to access that is just to try and let the snow globe settle. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to see Santa in the snow globe, you're not going to find him by shaking the snow globe. Mm. keep shaking it he's never mm. going to appear so all you've just got to put it down let the snow settle and he'll appear so it's, it's the same concept of when you feel yourself getting all worked up the best thing you can possibly do is just try mm. and stop still so yeah finding calm peace of mind and that's why people feel so great in nature because you're when you're in nature you you generally are more present you're more because you've got all, you know so many beautiful surroundings, birds and sky and trees. It's very mm. easy to find presence in that environment. Um, and I think that's why COVID's been so hard. A lot of people have been stuck on their own, analysing, you know, really caught in their own heads, mm. you know, less out, you know, sometimes less out in nature and less, less present with other people. It's very easy to get lost in your own thought spirals and 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 yeah. So yeah, so I think yeah, seeing mental health as a as a, an innate thing, and seeing that in my patients as well. So patients will come to me with a million problems, but rather than jumping on that story mm. and being sucked down that bandwagon with them, I not that I don't respect what the problem they've come with, and not that I won't support them with that, but I also see the health in them. Mm. Means like I have a very different approach. And the same with my kids when they're having a big melt, when they are really having a bit of a crisis or 
I don't think, oh my God, Seb's, you know, what's happened to Seb and oh my God, Seb's going to be broken and blah, 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 blah. you know, I, I, I know that they can't be scarred for life. Mm. That, you know, and I try and connect with that and I think that helps to bring them back and settle them. I don't make a big deal of things, I guess. So yeah, I think the way we approach, I think the way we approach mental health, you know, we, we, we very much talk about the mental health pandemic that we're in um and we are mm. and isn't that crazy because we are you know the most advanced society you know we've got everything mm. we've got we've got so much knowledge but it's not it's not intellect that we it's not more intellect that we need mm. it, it's more getting back in touch with our own intuition and our own common sense you know there's a lot to be said about the way that people used to live to the way we live now technology-led information-led social media-led and it's it's we've become disconnected with our own common sense Mm. um and it's just learning to be back in touch with that really and not so with my kids when they are trying to make a big decision used to be like oh let me let me problem solve with my patients let me sort this out for you right what's the problem let me help you fix it because there's a problem that needs fixing now it'll be like well what do you think what feels right you know where Mm. what what feels right for you what have you done so far what feels good well you know just try and take a minute to think about what what's feeling right for you and yeah and that that's that's a really different it's so simple but it's a really different way of approaching things and I just feel my kids are just you know they they have wobbles but generally not not so many as they used to so we'll see but they're only 12 we've still got more teenagers to go I've um while I've been reading up on this over the last couple of days, I've been seeing this phrase thinking versus understanding. And interestingly, not really related to, to this chat, but uh, I was just pondering thought <laughs> the other day. And, you know, and that awareness of it, that consciousness of thought and that, that it comes from us. And I think I even put on Facebook just, just out of interest that, you know, how do people think? Because I've always assumed that everyone thinks like me and in the, the actual process is that I tend to think in sentences and monologues and you know, that conversation that's running through my head running through my head and there are times that it's more abstract and I will feel a feeling or I'll I'll realize I'm thinking about something I wasn't really thinking anything it's just all of a sudden I'm thinking about my dad um you know something like that or I find myself in the kitchen oh I'm hungry but generally I will tend to think in full, full-on sentences or words, and um, yeah, I was shocked to sort of. I, I'd seen an article on Twitter in which someone had said, "Yeah, there are two types really: those that are more visual and visual and conceptual <laughs> and abstract, and then they they have this abstract notion that is thought, which they then put into words consciously when they when they're communicating that thought, or are the the ones more like me." that have this inner monologue, this inner dialogue, this inner question and answer, you know, almost interview style, go in all the time. And I guess <laughs> if you try and apply something like the three Ps, some people are just not even self-aware, you know, put that question to my mum and she, she's, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know how I think. I, it's hard to think about thinking. So um, I don't really know what I'm trying to ask, but 
what is you know the thinking versus understanding and and i guess how do we how do we even become self-aware like as you said that those thoughts originate in us and that it's not external things making us in that mood or making us feel like that but that these thoughts are sort of they're innate they're in us and and that's where it comes from like how do you even become aware of that it's quite it's a layered sort of concept to get your head around isn't it well, that's the thing. I mean, we're so like in, in, immersed in it. We don't even realize we're doing it, you know. And I, I think once I started to just recognize that I was thinking, because yeah, you're so, your mind is so busy all the time mm. that you don't even realize you're doing it. But, you know, the evidence is there. So I guess it's just asking to see the evidence of it. You know, I can think of times where I, I you know, I used to leave my job and I worked in Swansea and I, I just couldn't find my car. <laughs> <laughs> I could not find my car because I'd been so already stressed out in my head already like oh my god planning the day I didn't even notice where I parked the car mm. so I would be like sometimes I'd be almost in tears for 40 minutes trying to um leave work because I just hadn't paid any attention to where I parked I could not find my car and I assumed it was stolen and of course it wasn't it was, I always found it in the end but it's just recognizing how often you know when you're when you've lost your keys and you're just trying to turn the house upside down and you're just going mad trying to find them mm. and then the moment you stop looking yeah is the moment you find them and it's seeing those examples you know as soon as I stop looking for the car eventually it'll, you know it, it, it just appears doesn't it so the, the more you recognize that actually the thinking is not you don't it's not required mm. to the outcome will happen on its own. Thinking is not necessary. Your, your, your gut, your wisdom will... will so there's sort of a, a deeper thought. It's not like we, we're never really clear of thoughts, but there's a thought that comes from your gut, mm-hmm. like a deeper feeling. And there's a thought that spins around in the front of your mind that is, you know, there's, there's a difference between that. Yeah. It took me a while to see the difference. And I think the main thing is just being in tune with your mood. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you, it's just recognizing when you're in a low mood, your your thoughts spiral, and, and seeing that, you know, and it's just being aware of it. And, and it's, I think people think that they have to control their mind, they have to, and it's imp- absolutely impossible. But the, it's just not possible. Thoughts just come and go. But to see that that's transient, mm. and there's always there's always this, human mm. experience is always this. There is never. A flat line you know that that's just nobody is that way and it's and just to see the humanness of the ups and the downs you know I, I, I used to do I teach this to brownie groups and I would say would you rather go to the cinema and see a film that was nice and quite good and happy and you know not much happened but you know it felt safe and you know it was it was good or would you want to go and see a film where there's like drama and you know there's there's scary bits and there's exciting bits and there's you know you know really a really emotional bit and you cried and you laughed what film would you want to go and see you know what film sounds better Mm. like oh the second I'm like well that's that's human emotion you know life is you don't nobody wants to be on on a flat you you, Mm. you know after the low follow is followed by the high so you know whatever crisis happens it's you know, when we hit the unknown, I think we we fear it, don't we? We fear the unknown. But actually, I've learned to see that when you get to a point where you don't know, that's the exciting bit because it means that something brand new is gonna is gonna appear. 
So actually the unknown becomes much more exciting now. I don't mm. fear it. So if we become aware that these unconscious thoughts can spill over into our conscious mind and sort of master that or kind of stop it in its tracks, what would you say is like the main benefit of that? Um, the more you learn to like just not let your thoughts, just let them come and go and not grab them, not, not grab and analyze them the more space that's created in your mind, you know, because when I stop like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God every, everything, you know, I've got so much to do, the, the clock just, it moves much more slowly. If I have so many more hours in my day because I'm not wasting them, like going through all this all the time, my mind is less busy. So I sleep better. I don't really struggle with sleeping and I just get much more done without having to, so mm. I don't make so many lists I don't prepare for speeches or presentations I just like I trust I gamble with I know I know I'll need whatever I need to know is going to come you know I've done mm. enough I know enough trust my instinct and, and it's so much more authentic when you when you work when you live life that way so going back into a job now as a manager rather than thinking oh my god what's a manager need to do what's the theory of a manager what are the pillars of practice blah 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 I just, I just gone into it being myself and I'll just, you know, presence is everything. So like really, truly, truly listening to your staff and your, your patients. That's, that's, that's it really, really, really being open and trying to listen without judgment. That That's like, that's all, that's it really. You know, if you can really be present with people, generally you hear so much more and you know, the answers, to, you know, just the answers come. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to explain, but I think the main thing is just recognizing that you are, you are thinking, that's it. Just try <laughs> to just slowly see the connection and not be hard on yourself. Not, oh, why am I thinking that? I don't want to think that, you know, I need to think something else. It's like, okay, here I go again, you know, probably need to slow down. Mm. Probably be a good idea to walk the dog right now. Probably be a good idea to just take a break. You know, whereas I used to think I just have to keep working harder. I need to do more hours on the PC. I needed to work, work, work. And the more stress I got, the more I felt I needed to do. But like to my partner, who was very prone to stress, I'd be like, Ran, go and sit in the garden. Just take five minutes. You'll be more productive if you take five minutes out than another four hours in that state of mind. Mm. Go and let your just settle your, settle your mind. And that's what I try and tell my kids. You know, like just, you know, going into it, just try and just, let your, you know, don't do too much cramming before an exam. Just, you know, just the main thing is just try and stay cool. You know, just don't, 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 don't get worked up or don't get too lost in your head. So yeah, I think they both they both had tests today and they're like, yeah, no, I didn't get too worked up. No, I was okay. I didn't do, yeah. So it, I think they, they hate it if I call it the three P's. I absolutely hates it, but I kind of do it covertly and it seems mm -hmm. to help. Talking about these principles individually, it sounds like you're stating the obvious, you know, because it just makes sense when you break it down, you know, but then when you combine the principle of mind, consciousness and thought, it's that very combination that makes a person's, you know, creative powers unlimited. The problem is as soon as you give it a name, the, you know the three principles of 
thought and innate health. When you give it that name, you instantly get the deniers, the conspiracy theorists, the people that call it new age hippie mumbo jumbo and say things like, if you open your mind too much, then your brains will fall out. Yeah, we, we've spoke about the three Ps quite a lot. And I always think, you know, the, the, the sort of people, I mean, there are people in my life that I think would really benefit from it. We've probably spoke, you know, privately about that, <laughs> certain people that they would, you know, be really great if they sort of embraced it and just were open to it. But I know at least two or three people that would probably benefit the most would probably be the most resistant to it. What would you say to someone like that? I think I think when I first came across it, I felt like I needed to teach it to everybody and ram it down everyone's throats. And mm-hmm. then <laughs> I think that's quite common. And then I realised actually it's, it's not necessary because we're all... We're all living it all the time. We've all, we're all in it. We're all exactly the same. But some of us are more caught up in our thinking than others. So I think the more you come to people from that place yourself, the more centred you are in it, you you become a tuning fork to others. Mm. So I used to think I had to, t- I had to give it to the kids. I had to teach it. I had to, I had to get it. And it's not about that at all. The more I... I fall into that space myself. It's just sort of, it's just a tuning for effect on other people. So, yeah, and that's it really. Just, you know, the more you slow down, the more you let your mind settle, it's it's sort of more rich. Other people sort of fall into that. If you're, if you're that presence, mm-hmm. that's what they fall into more so, you know, and if you recognise and out and about in a green space or whatever helps your thoughts settle and you take that person along with you you know you don't yeah. have to talk about three p's it's just yeah you know the more you can find opportunities to let your mind settle the more so as soon as your mind settles you're open to pure new thoughts so rather than just your incessant learnt condition thinking as soon as your mind empties, so, you know, some people say when they're running or some people say when they're in the shower or some people say when they're rock climbing or, you know, the thing, there, there are certain times or activities or ways where you you feel your mind clears, playing golf. I don't know. There's, there's, there's ways sometimes that our mind mm. just clears itself, doesn't it? Or when you're with your friends, when you're just laughing your head off and you're in great company. When your mind clears, then brand new stuff comes in. Embrace the feeling 
so yeah it's it's and it's and that's where all the new ideas come from and you know I recognize that you're you've always been amazing at that you've always been so creative you're always coming up with new stuff constantly you find you're in tune with that you know so you 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 know I just think you you're far so it's not a case that they need to know it because they've got it you know everyone's Mm. got it so it's yeah it's just I think um it's funny you said about whether it be playing golf, going for a walk, going for a run. I used to, as you know, I used to do long distance running and yeah. it might coincide with the time that I had a really big script to learn for, a, I don't know, a Christmas play that was coming up. I say, oh, I'll go on a long run and I'll practice my lines. And I couldn't. I'd be on that run and my mind would just be blank. And if I tried to do it, I couldn't do it because I was just in that mode of, I'm just not thinking now, you know, which is... Yeah, it's, it's nice to find those moments or whether it be like playing the guitar or, or something creative. It doesn't have to be creative if someone's not that way inclined. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned your, your kids a lot. And I think I think this, yeah, this is so beneficial to young people that can, you know, so get trapped in negative patterns of thought and whether it be just kind of, what they see in their parents like you say it sort of rubs off I mean I'm sure that I come in very very stressed and that you know it does affect the mood of the kids when when me and Mel maybe have had a bad day and and there's a tension in the air and then it rubs off on the kids and um yeah do you think and I, I know you've done work with young people I know like probably at the start of doing it you had a group of Seven Willows friends didn't you doing a almost a little course in it uh, but there you've just said it almost doesn't need to be taught it, it's kind of the approach um, I'm thinking a classroom teacher would it be better to give them training in that so that their approaches in the classroom are just naturally doing it or do you think it would benefit young people like the brownies group to sort of learn about it and oh yeah I think I mean it says there are loads of groups that do it there's a there's an organization called iHeart um teachers mm-hmm. really just rolled it out in loads of schools in London they've had really amazing um sort of they've they've done sort of research outcomes on it pre and mm. post um and there's an American the one I trained with was the Spark the Spark Association the Spark organization I can't remember Spark Initiative that's it I trained with them um and yeah they've done loads and loads of work in the states so it's huge. Yeah. and there's there's loads of videos on you can youtube it the kids talking about how they how they um see i've got a video of willow actually i'll just i'll, I'll send it to you later willow mm-hmm. sort of reflections on the changes in our house a few years ago when she was about 8 yeah yeah so i definitely yeah being it is really helpful just as a day to day thing but it's a lovely thing to teach in schools there seems to be an emphasis during the current climate on wellness and and good mental health. You know, and it's great to see organisations like the Royal College of Psychiatry taking on an artist in residence, poet and playwright Patrick Jones. And while there is a lot being done, you know, I do always think there could be more being done. Do you think there should be an emphasis within healthcare on the, the sort of philosophies of the three principles with all good intentions 
We are trying to help, but what we're doing is having the opposite effect. Mm. We are, um, you know, we've we've just become so over-diagnostic over the years that, that you know, the ICF-10 or whatever, that the, the, the list has just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And all the mental health diagnoses are just mm. huge. And I guess what the three Ps points back to is that there, there's, you know, there's only one mental illness and mm. that's that's believing your thinking to be true and that that's to an extreme schizophrenia mm. so like bill pettit it was a psychiatrist to say schizophrenia is just um is just you know thoughts respect the facts mm. you know and 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 people can get from that when they people can come out of that when they see whether so you know it's I think we've just assumed that with that diagnosis, someone's broken and can't be fixed. But that's because that's because they've been told that all their lives. Mm. And you know, when someone sees the health in them and actually points them back to that, it can be huge. And my mum always thought she'd seen loads of psychiatrists over the years and she was led to believe she was broken. And I think she believed it. So I believed it. But I'm pretty sure she did. Um yeah. But I don't think my dad ever had that approach. I think even from a young age, you know, my dad always, um, you know, I think if you think how, how like we deal with it now, childhood trauma and how the approach that we take in schools and young mental health now would be the opposite of what my dad. So so when when I was very, when Emma and I were very young, my mum had suffered with depression and we, the worst sort of most traumatic memory is coming home, running into my mum's room and she, she tried to kill herself. So she just had bloody wrists and razor blades on the side table. And she was sort of semi-conscious and really scary. I think I was, I don't know, I must've been about six or something, five or six. And Emma was mm. you know, a few years older, really, really scary experience. And, you know, we'd run to get dad and, and she'd been blue lighted to hospital. And I just remember that evening, my dad saying to Em and I, you know, um, you know, mum's, you know, mum's not not very happy at the moment, but, you know, she's going to be OK. And you're OK. You know, it's all right. Give me a cuddle. You, you know, you, you're OK. Mm. And it sounds so simple. But how often now do we say, oh, childhood trauma therefore this is the, the, this, you know, mm. this could scar you for life. What you've seen now, you can never unsee. You know, mm. my, maybe that you're going to need counselling. And I'm not saying that's it's not coming from the. It's it's coming from a really kind place. It's coming from wanting to help kids. But by giving the understanding that your experience is is an outside in experience, and what happens to you will affect you for life. You know, will scar you. Mm. Nothing on the outside can 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 really do that. Just you're thinking about it. Mm. You know, if someone tells me that that's if as a child I'm told that my experience can 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 scar me which my dad dad never did my dad was very much you're okay you know mm. you're okay your mum's going to be okay it's but he could have dealt with it very differently mm. and then he could have been vigilantly watching me and Emma for the rest <clears throat> of my childhood you know are they you know, are they okay has this affected them? and he never he was very much you know just we're good you know this is this is all right very much played it down but was very loving and very kind mm. but you know through very good intentions we we've fallen into the opposite you know um and kids are so you know it's this concept of you have anxiety it's like <laughs> we have anxiety anxiety is not an object that we can carry in a bag it's mm. it's anxiety isn't 
what we are, it's where we are. You know, it's where we are at this given moment. And we all go through those moments of anxiety. It's not just because we ha- we feel anxiety in this moment. It doesn't mean that we have anxiety and that's going to be something we always have. Mm. And my, my kids kind of say, oh, right, no, right. They'll say, so-and-so in school today, she, she's she got anxiety. I said, what, she's, what, she's got anxiety or she was feeling anxious today? You know, like, oh, <laughs> she says she's got anxiety. I'm like, I know she does. But just because she felt anxious today, she doesn't always going to feel that way. <laughs> Seb said to me, he said, biggest compliment he's ever said. He said, Oh, mum, you're not a worrying mum, are you? Um, and I was like, What? He said, Oh, I'm really glad that you're not one of the one of the worrying mums. I said, Oh gosh, Seb, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Mm-hmm. He said, Yeah, no, you don't really worry about stuff. He said, But I I think I do. I'm I think I'm gonna grow up to be a worrier. I I I worry a lot. Mm. And I said, Seb, I worry a lot more when I was a kid. Don't mm. you think just because I don't worry now that I didn't massively worry loads when I was a kid? But just because you worry now, it doesn't mean you're always going to be that way. You mm. know, I've, I've learned to worry less and I'm sure you will too, you know. So again, he was already placed and diagnosed <laughs> himself as an anxious person, you know, and I'm just tried yeah. to keep quashing that but it, it, I could and I probably would have three four years ago I'd be like oh my god yes I'm an anxious kid Seb is going to be this because I see this now and yeah. what you see is always what you get <laughs> definitely for me when I'm being my creative self I feel that the three p's are all working together in absolute harmony it usually manifests in musical creations for me writing a song, getting a spark of inspiration from somewhere, thinking of a lyric that just sums up what I'm feeling inside when I haven't really been able to put my finger on it, coming up with a melody from nowhere. You know, sometimes it it manifests itself just when I'm listening to music. I I do find music very powerful and the therapeutic powers of music are undeniable, particularly in my line of work. What specific songs have had, you know, a great impact on you and on your mental health and your well-being in a profound level and why? It could be recent. It could be something you've written yourself. It could be a song that your parents used to sing to you as a kid. But something that you think has really had a positive impact on your mental health and, you know, you hear it now and, and it takes you to that place, you know, oh, it never fails to to bring on these emotions. It doesn't even necessarily have to be positive emotions because sometimes crying is the emotion that we need to feel and sometimes grief is the emotion we need to feel and that isn't necessarily a negative, is it? So it doesn't necessarily be a happy song, I suppose I'm saying, just something that has impacted you. Ah, three songs. Well, oh. Or one, if you can only think of one, it's fine. Oh, I guess there's different songs in part for different reasons, don't they? Mm. I mean, I thought you were going to ask me for a Kutch song then, so my mind went straight to a Clary Sally song. <laughs> so a song that really, I just absolutely, one song that I love that takes me back to a really happy time in our lives when we travelled together was Full Moon. <laughs> I was trying to guess which one you're going to say then. <laughs> Full Moon. I'm trying to think of the verses now. Um, yeah, you are my shade. Yes. Yeah.
that song takes me to a really happy place. Yeah, it's just a song of our friendship. And, you know, that was a time in our lives where we just were very much living in the present, in the moment mm. to moment. And I think that is that is contentment, isn't it? And it's not it's not about that place. It's about really not having a care in the world, you know, just being totally spontaneous and just responding to every experience and grasping everything that came up came our way so yeah I really connect that that time in our lives with that feeling of just yeah just really fully immersed in the moment and that's just such a lovely way to live life you know mm. so yeah so that song if you want to weave that one in mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a really goodie and I guess to childhood sort of feeling of um security because my dad and I was one of our hot if dad if dad ever did stop still and gave me a little bit of his time because he was a very hard worker our hobby would be to sit together and work out the lyrics of a song so he let me sit mm. on his knee get a pencil and we get the cassette player pause rewind pause rewind pause rewind until we'd written all the lyrics of a song down mm. so that's a really happy memory um so I guess I'm just thinking of the sort of album we would have done that with um so in they, those days, it would be sort of Neil Young or Steve Miller Band or The Kinks or mm-hmm. Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess when I felt ill, my mum always used to put the Steve Miller Band album on. So it just used to play out until I fell asleep. So mm-hmm. it wasn't my favourite album, but it was the song that sent It's a security album, I guess. So Abracadabra and yeah. all that sort of stuff. you with isn't yeah. it yeah and what about now what about current artists is there a, um an artist that just kind of does it for you hmm. you're in that happy place yeah I guess if I want to just sing at the top of my voice it would probably I don't know I'm, I'm I'm a bit not so good at keeping up at the moment but I do quite like listening to um Liana La Havis mm-hmm. yeah just lovely sort of happy uplifting belters I guess Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff soulful stuff yeah
been chatting oh, over an hour now that's flown by <laughs> well thank you for that i shall edit in a little bit edit in some songs and i'll let you know when it's ready <laughs> thank you for letting me waffle <laughs> thanks for waffling <laughs> okay right, take care. care bye join us next time when i interview michaela cox blind author blogger and disability rights activists. Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.